Well, hello there. How are you guys doing? Okay. Yes, I hope. I'm doing quite well, so I can't complain and won't complain. All right. So, and I want to share more of the awesome things going on at my corner of the world, but if you don't know now, you know I'm hella private, and you'll know once things launch, okay? So for this week's episode, let's pay hella tribute to Michael K. Williams. Ugh, ugh, it's, it's gut-wrenching. Like, my heart is still hurting over his passing. And then we'll also talk box office numbers with Shang-Chi doing some big moves at the theaters. And also this week, I kick off my spooky movie segments. (laughs) I am so excited about this. And of course, there will be spoiler-free reviews to be shared. And in music news, why it is so important to gain masters if you are a musician. So, grab your Kool-Aid. This week, I am sipping on Tropical Punch. Sit back and let's get on into this. So, welcome to the spoiler-free review section of the show. Um, listen, I have been waiting to do this particular segment since, like, June. (laughs) June! But I was like, no, no, it doesn't feel right. I'm I'm gonna, you know, wait till it feels right to do. And that is... It was originally called like my B movie fix. That's what I was I was gonna call it. But a lot of these movies aren't B movies, so I had to drop that. And now I'm just saying it's it's the horror movie potion, portion of Livy's Corner. Um, this is only gonna run for about two months, you know, and then it'll wrap for the year and relaunch next year around the same time so this is a special time for me oh my god i'm so excited i love horror movies um love 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 horror movies and there are some stories that go along with my ratings of certain films that will knock your socks off um (laughs) but then also um the series wraps or culminates in this huge 50 best horror movies countdown that I will be doing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So yes, um, and you know a series if I got 50, 50 in the holster for you. 50! It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but this week's entry, uh, it had to be a doozy, right? And the films leading up to this huge, you know, 50 plus, well, 50 movies, there will be some honorable mentions. Um, (laughs) It had to be a doozy. It had to be something that I had not seen so I could have this fresh take on it. You know what I mean? And so I came across 
creep one. And at the time it was just called Creep, right? And that was released in 2014. Um, and then upon viewing the film and looking and being like, is, is there a sequel? It is. Creep 1 and 2. Both available on Netflix. And I have to tell you this. I, I don't rate my horror movies by a star system. I don't. Not these ones. I won't. Um, but if I had to watch a cartoon afterwards, that's how I rate this. So I'm like, is it cartoon worthy or is it meh? That's how I rate this. Um... So let's get into the actual review of these films. Um, I'm going to say that they freaked me out. Okay? And it required a two-hour binge of the Flintstones as a result. Okay? From the creative minds behind HBO's Room 104, which I will be delving into soon, the premise is that of a video shoot going very wrong. And so this week's horror movie segment, I'm tackling two films that rocked the horror genre. And after viewing, I can see why. So let me start with the first installment of Creep. Okay, Creep. Um, like I said, it was released in 2014 via Blumhouse. And we, f we follow Mark Duplass's Joseph and Patrick Bryce's Aaron as they meet up after a Craigs Craigslist ad. Um, what ensues in a 67-minute runtime is hilarious insanity that culminates or climaxes in one hell of a horrific ending. I literally was screaming at the TV, y'all. I even paced the room because I was terrified of shenanigans. And that doesn't happen. A lot. It's only happened one other time, and that was with Dario Argento's Suspiria. Okay? Oh my god. I will turn a movie off instead of letting it creep me out. But because I was so invested in the characters, I saw the film through. And for any doubters of lighting, lightning striking twice, the sequel, Creep 2, gives us another chance to crawl into the decrepit mind of a serial killer. I was so engrossed in the dialogue, the cast, and the progressing uneasiness that again I was screaming at the screen and pacing. And by the end credits, I couldn't believe how fast the movie went. It was perfectly orchestrated. Dude, am I a masochist? Probably, but this film was too good not to give props to. What both films get right is staying on brand and narrative for their entire runtimes, which kept the films between 60 to 70 minutes per outing. And this should be celebrated because too many times a film doesn't need the 90 to 120 minutes to stick the landing. The Creep franchise is intelligent with strong characters who know their motivations. They don't stray too far from their task, thus keeping the audience attached to the unfolding shenanigans. Congrats to everybody involved. I'm serious. 
And even though there is no third installment on the books, don't be surprised if there is one to surface in the future. The cohorts involved in the creation slash production are just too good at weaving a compelling horror tale that gets under the skin and stays there. So my rating, definitely cartoon worthy, big time. Where to watch? Both are currently streaming on Netflix. All right, so let's get into my second review, um, and that is of Swan Song, a movie that rests on the shoulders of the legendary Udo Kier, and it succeeds in that aspect. This film is endearing and extravagant in the way only an actor of Udo's caliber can bring to a project like this. He portrays Mr. Pat, who <laughs> the director-writer Todd Stevens bases from a real-life legend of the golden age of gay culture. Stevens pins a tale of an aged Pat returning to the city. Sandusky, Ohio lifestyle that he and his health made him leave behind. He's going there to style a client for her funeral. And not giving too much away, he's brought back to his marvelous and colorful self with it. Each is a quiet movie that pushes the viewer to focus on Pat and his rebirth. A rarity in today's movie landscape, I know. This is a straight indie film, so be aware of that. Um, it is well constructed, though, and there are some moments of lag which were unfortunate for the story. Swan Song is definitely like a Sunday afternoon movie while you are like getting yourself together for the week. So my rating is a solid four out of five. You can watch this in select theaters, or you can rent it across the many, many, many virtual platforms available to us like Amazon, Apple, Google, Voodoo, all right? And my next film is going to be the last reviewed film of this week's spoiler-free um, film review section and that <laughs> is Vacation Friends <laughs> y'all know what this movie made me laugh out loud too many times to count and it works mainly due to the stellar cast of Yvonne Orji Meredith Hagner John Cena and Lil Ray Howery they are box office gold here y'all they hit every beat and joke, landing every single one. That is not normal, nor does it happen a lot, okay? The premise is that <laughs> two couples meet on a Mexican vacation by some unfortunate circumstances, and the hijinks ensue from there. What works for the film outside of the cast is the writing. Clay Tarver, who actually is the director as well, John Francis Daly, and Jonathan Goldstein ground the characters of this seemingly simple plot with very realistic payoffs. This was a fun romp that 
I wouldn't mind watching repeatedly and already have watched repeatedly. I <laughs> I also have to say that there is a sequel in the works as the original was just a huge hit for 20th Century Fox and Hulu's partnership. Um, the sequel is titled Honeymoon Friends and will pick up where Vacation Friends ended. And I can say that I immediately wanted more when the credits began to roll on the initial film. So I'm really excited about <laughs> this sequel. According to Deadline, the film is the most viewed original in Hulu's history. And I will also point out that 20th Century Fox has more original films coming directly to Hulu through their partnership. And... This may cut into next Netflix's dominance, y'all. And, ooh, okay, I'm just all I'm going to say for right now. Um, this studio, which is owned by Disney, also has a major box office hit on their hands in Free Guy, which has racked up $180 million in global receipts. So, 20th Century is out here doing a damn thing. Uh, they like, hey, we doing both. We doing both. And we are succeeding in both. You know what I'm... You, you feel me? Do you feel me? Um, <laughs> Vacation Friends' success has to give a lot of the credit to the cast. But also those written shenanigans and just the sheer lunacy of the film... Um, which works and proves that there is life after a merger. Okay? My rating is a 4.7 out of 5. And it is available to watch on Hulu. Y'all... The mothership has landed. <laughs> Baby, this trailer gave me all the life. It looks polished, cohesive, and so compelling. But it still remains vague as to where the road goes or veers for Neo who seems to have been pushed back into the Matrix. Along with Trinity, there seems to be a play to keep them medicated on those lovely blue pills aka connected to the many layers of the Matrix. Mm -hmm. It's like an onion. It's like an onion. It's like an onion. And unlike an onion, it does not get sweeter by the time you get to the center of it. Mm -mm, it's not a Tootsie Pop. Not. Not. So, all of these amazing visuals of the of the trailer, I have not seen something look that crisp ever. It is so clear and beautiful. I just, oh my, oh my God, I can't, I cannot. But what also had me geeking out was that this trailer was orchestrated to a killer version of Jefferson Starship's White Rabbit. Girl, I'm ready to go on this adventure, okay? 
But that song pushed this trailer to the top of the heap of trailers. Okay, my favorite trailer of all time has been uh, Watchmen, okay, released in 2009. It's right up there with it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, I have talked about that trailer on this on this podcast. Go check it out. If you're not going to check it out, it's on YouTube. And I must say that Lana Wachowski is back to direct the film. But Solo, which, you know, people was like, well, what the hell? And I'm like, hey, uh, uh, they are creatives. They are artists. Uh, uh, you know, Lena and Lily are artists. So you got to let them do what they need to do. Okay. All right. <laughs> This trailer is going to break the internet and with 370,000 views in less than 20 minutes of release, uh-huh, that, that would be correct, okay? I see you, Warner. <laughs> I see you. This type of marketing treatment is going to pay off as this is going to be massive for the franchise, Village Roadshow, and Warner Brothers. So, I'm here for it. Debuting simultaneously on HBO Max and in theaters on 12-22-21. So close to Christmas, which is fitting as I woke up early like a kid on Christmas morning waiting to open a present. And baby, I was not disappointed. And uh, before I close this out, I... (coughs) Us Matrix Code Breakers. I have to say this. <laughs> us numerology stands. Uh-huh. We were all a Twitter. Because we saw the numbers, baby. Yes, we did. <laughs> we see you out there working in numerology. Alright, that's it. I can't wait to see it. If you have not seen the <laughs> trailer, go to YouTube. It is like... The last time I looked at it, it was at like 11 million (laughs) views within 10 hours. Y'all know what? Do it. Do the thing. Do the thing. Yes. So in this week's box office news, as I stated in last week's episode, (laughs) the only way we are going to the movie theaters will be because of a large and in charge film. Well, that is exactly what happened with the release of Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The film obliterated expectations, including mine, <laughs> by bringing in 93 million bucks from the U.S. alone, with a total global haul of 127 million dollars. Thanks to the Hollywood Reporter for that info, by the way. This outing is a huge success for Marvel and Disney. As we all know, Disney is embroiled with that shenanigan with Scarlett Johansson. And I must point out this data though. Black Widow made more money at the theaters 
but also by having dual openings with Disney's premier access and the theater viewings. The film brought in $140 million in three days, so one has to wonder how much more Shang-Chi would have made if it had been released in the same capacity. And the people, we split on this very topic. Deadline's coverage of this success had <clears throat> commenters asking the same question, with many stating that they should have a right to choose where they see a film. And it is this part I want to lean into. Viewers and subscribers alike pay their monthly fees, much of which goes into these productions. The fan bases are large and we do speak with our dollars. But this particular sentiment is being echoed more frequently because People are seeing the benefit and quality of a freedom to choose how to view content. So even though this film is a hit, it is by no means an instance to change trajectory of dual release options. The data and money is too good to be neglectful to that pertinent information Disney, Warner Brothers, and others have gathered on this very subject. Say what you will about Disney, but they understand how to make their coin, baby. And by guesstimate, the film would have brought in, this is just me guessing, about the same amount with the theater audience, but with a 40 to $60 million cherry on top, if it had been available to view on Premier Access. Regardless, Shang-Chi dominated the box office, which brings me to my next segment. This success aids other movies to be released early. It supports that. Venom, There Will Be Carnage, has been moved up to be released October 1st, 2021. And I'm sure it will make a nice chunk of change in doing so. And hey, I am excited to see what Venom and company have in store for this outing. So here's to a good film. But let's not kid ourselves. Our landscape has changed. We are, we being the viewers and, and groups of that nature, are refusing to go back to things as they were. And I stated last week how unhappy many of us were. And yes, the movies did bring us so much joy and freedom and escape, escapism, right? However, we do have the right to view content in a safe manner that does not freak us out and spike our anxiety. For any business out there who doesn't care about that, you're not gonna get my coin and you're not gonna get others. And that will begin to grow and grow until there's a real problem on our hands. So again, like I said, 
awesome to everybody involved with Shang-Chi. There was some there was some nuggets in it. There was some nuggets. <laughs> Ooh, there was some nuggets. And that's all I can say. I can't even go farther into that. But congratulations to everybody involved. Venom is going to be amazing, I hope. Um, I'm going for Tom Hardy and, and Venom. Like, that's who I'm going for. That's everybody else I really don't care about. But, yeah. Mmm. 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 In this week's music news... Let's give Anita Baker a standing ovation just on merit alone, okay? I don't think she gets enough enough of that. I, I really don't. But in this week, honey, listen. She has become the sole owner of her legendary catalog. First, let me shout out an awesome friend, Develle Crisp, for sharing this story on Facebook this week. Second... I headed over to Vibe.com, yes I said Vibe, <laughs> to get some additional info on this story. The basics according to Vibe go like this. Green means go. Back in March of 2021, Anita Baker tweeted that she's outlived all of her artist's contracts and by law, her masters plus the rights to her name and like likeness should be returned to her. Specifically, she was referring to copyright reversion, which allows artists to be given their copyrights after 35 years, end quote. So what ensued after that March statement was a little bit of a legal tussle. Little, little. It wasn't, it wasn't huge. It wasn't drug out. But at the end of all of that, Miss Anita is the owner of her music, so now we can stream and all the monies go straight to her. And she also has creative and branding control of her person and music. Go, woman, go. If you are an artist, the best thing you can do for yourself is not only copyright your work, but to own either a large percentage of the royalties or monies made from it, or 100%. All right? Especially now. When you see the likes of Drake, Nicki Minaj, Taylor Swift, not owning their masters and having them sold off for obscenely low, low money. Obscenely. Um, <laughs> Taylor Swift's ex-manager sold, or, or record producer sold all of her songs um, from her earlier era for about $300 million. That catalog is worth way more than that. And she didn't get any of that money. <laughs> Lil Wayne, 
did the same exact thing to Drake and Nicki Minaj. But he only sold it for like 150 million. Those two catalogs alone are at least worth a billion dollars, if not more. So that's how artists get screwed out of money from their own work and merit. Another thing that I have to point out is that with this shift to digital streaming, artists are being squeezed out of earnings. So as a consumer, we have to be mindful of that. Um, And I may point out here that the shenanigans going on with um, Scarlett Johansson and Disney could be seen as her not wanting to, you know, her putting a a fist up or paw up, (laughs) hand up to stop this type of shenanigan and happening with film. And I can see that point. I completely see that point. But again, this is where your contract is that binding legal document. And if you don't want to sign away all your things, then you have a choice not to. You do. You can go straight independent. You can. You know what I mean? Like, as artists, we have to make a decision on what we want to do and why we are doing these things. Because if we want the fame and all of that, then we're going to have to sign away some things. Okay? Large percentage of things. Okay? But if we don't care about any of that, then we'll just go indie. We'll just do our own thing. We'll have our own websites. We'll do our own, you know, drives and all the things. We'll just be 100% independent. It's just what do you want out of your art? So, you know, many blessings to everybody involved. I'm just happy Anita is able to get her money and relax and in her own words, and I'll close it out with this. She said, quote, I have retired from the plantation, end quote. Michael K. Williams passed away on September 6th, 2021 at the age of 54. In this tribute, I will not discuss the parameters of his death as many media outlets were quick to say that the circumstances um, surrounding his passing was related to a drug overdose. Um, I think this is just disrespectful and should be banned. But, okay, it's not funny. So let's move on. Instead, let me reflect on the actor who cannot be replaced. I came to know Michael as Omar from HBO's The Wire. 
and the complexities he brought to that character had not been seen before. And the next time I heard of Michael was for HBO's Boardwalk Empire. Um, now this show I couldn't really get into. It was just a little too violent. And I know, right? Coming from me. But there were a couple episodes that I did watch. Um, and he he was like, he was that dude. He stood out like very prominently on this show. And he did deliver another bomb-ass performance. And the last outing that I saw him in was HBO's production of Lovecraft Country, where I couldn't keep my eyes off of him. But looking back at this performance, I can see the red flags of a troubled soul. Anyone who has listened to this podcast knows how much I adore Lovecraft Country. But the more that I look at things, I see the amount of trauma displayed on this show, and that really stands out. With Michael's passing, it is evident that he felt his character very deeply. It had imprinted on him, so much so that he was actively in therapy to recover from it. Which brings a realization to mind how much trauma is too much for a performer. I am a huge advocate of a person's total well-being, especially when it comes to their mental health. But for some reason, when it comes to actors or the arts, I don't feel that people view the craft seriously. People... (laughs) We have to remember that some thespians have to completely inhabit a role to make it real. That there are some people and actors out there who aren't in the profession for shits and giggles or for the gram. Sometimes these roles can take a huge toil on an actor's life. And from the reports surrounding Michael, He has been struggling with a number of issues. I wish the media would focus on him trying to maintain his addictions, but they are not. They are going the sensationalism route for clickbait, and that is so wrong. Even if Michael wasn't famous, it would still be a negative narrative that feeds the stigmatism against mental illness and health but also against the reality of the damage incurred by artists. We, and I say we because I am an artist, we walk a fine line between dreams and reality. That line is so delicate that one false move, one gust of negative wind or shadowy inner demon can blow out our candle of existence. So to my fellow artists out there, take care of yourself. Do get a therapist and you have a right to walk away from a project that is impacting your peace. To my writers out there, please be mindful of the content you are creating. I have a whole ass screenplay that will never see the light of day or a film set due to its traumatic nature. 
My question is, would you play the character you are writing? Biographical stats aside and stories aside, would you? It's important to ask that question while in character development. And finally, to Michael's spirit, I love you, man. My heart is so broken over your passing that I will not write my trauma anymore. I will release it as I release the tears I shed over you. I can feel you and have always respected you. So rest easy, you beautiful angel man. That's it for this week of Livy's Corner. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let me again send blessings to Michael K. Williams and his family. He is already missed and so very much appreciated for all that he has done for our culture and just the art scene period also I love sharing my reviews on Creep 1 and 2 Swan Song and Vacation Friends you know guys like this is how it all started for me well this podcast started is really just my analytical brain going to work on Hollywood and and all of all of its offerings but really the reviews I love reviewing things and I love reviewing things in a constructive way so I, I kind of steer away from oh the movie sucked because like I can't do that I will not do that people had to pay them they mortgages they rent um, they had to get you know food on the table so me saying anything crazy put some boo-boo out into the air and in atmosphere and I just don't have time for that also in music news, you know, we just talked about how Anita got her masters. Um, I do wish for other artists to gain ownership of their material. Um, it's just important. It really is. Next week, I'll be delving into why Marvel has got to diversify its movie content in order to stay current and top of the charts okay I'll also have a spoiler free review for a couple of properties one being Sony's Don't Breathe 2 and Hulu's Nine Perfect Strangers but you know I, I'm gonna have more okay <laughs> I'm gonna have more than that but those are it and this week I didn't have any series to cover because I'm still in like mid-season with some or my faves just came back online. So that's why that happened this week. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it for Livy's Corner, honey. Ooh, thank you for tuning in. And also thank you to Deadline, um, Screen Brand, Hollywood Reporter, and Vibe for those juicy reference points for this episode. <laughs> Bye, y'all.